Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to pick up where we left off, which is obviously verse 18, as you can see there. Um, If you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, please raise your hand and our usher, who's not here, (laughs) will get you one. No, we'll we'll get you one. (laughs) Usually we have someone standing in the back, but we don't. So anybody needed a Bible? Everybody's good? Great. Okay. So I was looking, you know, I stopped at verse 17 uh, last week. And uh, mainly because uh, the rest of chapter 3 and actually pretty much all the way through chapter 4, Peter is going to be talking about suffering. And he's already, you know, he's, as we talked last week, uh, he talked about husbands and wives and the roles of husbands and wives. Not that you're suffering, but the husbands, roles of husbands and wives in the marriage. And then he switched to the role of us as believers in the body of Christ. And then he started going to, to the subject of suffering. And the reason why is because the people that he's writing to, uh, very soon they're going to endure a very tremendous amount of suffering. And so Peter is wanting to prepare them uh, and get them ready uh, to accept and, and to really survive, not only survive, but to thrive through suffering. And it's a message to you and I today. I don't know if you look at the way things are in the world today, but, you know, I think the way Christianity is in the United States is becoming increasingly harder to stand for our faith here in the United States. Other countries, they've already experienced it. They know all about persecution. It's kind of foreign to us here, but it's slowly, gradually creeping in as Christians were being marginalized, you know, uh, and and actually, you know, I just read on the news uh, just, uh, I think it was yesterday, uh, uh, one of the governors who's a Republican governor, um, you know, uh, I, I don't know if he's running for president or nothing, but, you know, he's saying, you know, we don't have an argument about gay marriage. And I'm like, oh, wow. You know, here we're getting to this point where, you know, that's going to be an issue. And for you and I to stand up and say, no, that's that's unbiblical. Persecution is going to come with that. And so just, you know, we see it coming. And so this message, I think, is appropriate for us because I believe sooner or later we're going to experience suffering. And maybe already you do as a Christian, maybe in your workplace Uh, Maybe in your family. Maybe you're the only believer in your family and you're being persecuted for being a Christian in your family. Um, We're all going to endure suffering sooner or later. And so this message, I think, is timely for all of us. And so, uh, but in verse 18 through the rest of this chapter now, Peter gives the example of Jesus Christ. That's why I titled Jesus Christ, Our Example in Suffering. And so verse 18, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There was also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So as you see in this passage of Scripture, God had a purpose, and Christ is our example, and and God had a purpose 
for Christ's suffering. What was that purpose? Well, that he might bring us to God there in verse 18. Um, God's purpose in Christ's suffering was, you know, he's the just dying for the unjust. He's, he's the righteous one who died for you and I who are unrighteous, that he might provide a way for you and I to have a relationship with God who is holy. And so Jesus Christ died for our sins, and that was the purpose of his suffering on the cross, was to bring us to God. Um, not only uh, did God have an ultimate purpose and an end goal in Christ's suffering bringing, bringing us to God, but as we see in this passage of Scripture, God even used Jesus during his suffering, in his suffering. It says, uh, verse 19 there, it says, "...by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. So what was God's, how did God use Jesus while, while he suffered? To preach to disobedient spirits. Now, this is a very interesting passage of Scripture. It's, it's like, it's almost like, whoa, what is he talking about? Um, who were these spirits that Peter is referring to, and you could probably look at you know five different commentaries and probably get six different opinions. Um, but I believe, uh, well, first of all, you have to take a look at the scripture. First of all, who are these spirits that he's referring to? He tells us um, that they were in prison, and he tells us that they were disobedient, and he also mentions that it was during the days of Noah. Uh, going back to the days of Noah, so you go, okay, days of Noah, what was that? Has, you know, how does that relate? Well, going back to Genesis chapter 6, during the time right before the flood, the Bible tells us that it was a great time of wickedness. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So there was a great wickedness during that time. A little earlier in the same chapter there, it says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives of themselves of all whom they chose. Um, and again, different opinions about that, but it seems to be some sort of a crossbreeding between demons and humans. Uh, verse 4 of chapter 6, it says, There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Um, to get even a more, uh, you know, shed more light on it, you would go to the book of Jude. And in Jude's epistle, it, sheds, it speaks about this same event, comparing it to the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, there in verse... Uh, six it says, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in a similar manner to these, having gone, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And so why am I getting in all this? Well, I believe these spirits that Jesus preached to while he was suffering uh, were these same demons who some way and uh, somehow left their proper domain uh, at the, before the time of the flood and had sexual relations with humans. 
and these are like the wickedest of the wicked of the demons. And they are now, according to Jude, held in chains for everlasting judgment. And so I believe that this is what this is speaking about, that Jesus went and he preached to those demons. Now, what did Jesus preach to them? The Bible doesn't tell us. And uh, we're not told, but I believe it certainly wasn't a message of evangelism, um, but I think it was a message of condemnation. And I think Jesus Christ basically declared, uh, you know, his triumph over these evil spirits uh, and uh, over sin and death. In fact, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, it says, Therefore God has also highly exalted him, speaking of Jesus, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The Bible says that even those under the earth must acknowledge uh, Jesus's ultimate lordship. And so I think uh, this is what Peter is speaking about, that Christ went down and proclaimed his lordship, his triumph and victory over them. Now, I'm not going to be dogmatic about it and say this is exactly what it is, um, um, but I think that verse 19 of chapter 3 in, in 2 Peter, I think this is, or 1 Peter, I think that's what this is referring to. Um, and then Peter he starts speaking about Noah and his family being saved through water, and then he starts. Uh, he relates it to baptism. So going back to 1 Peter chapter 3, in verse 21, it says, There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now notice, Peter makes it clear that the physical act of baptism doesn't wash away our sins. Uh, it doesn't save us. But it's an answer of a good conscience uh, toward God. In other words, when you and I are physically submerged under the waters in baptism, you know, and coming up out of the water, that physical act doesn't save us. Um, it's, it's a symbol of what's already occurred in our hearts. Um, but physically going under the water, it's kind of like you think of it in Noah's day, and this is you know how Peter's kind of tying it in. In Noah's day, all that wickedness was submerged under the water and wiped away. And then when the flood waters receded, uh, you know Noah and his family in the ark, they came out, and, and here they are in a new earth, basically, a transformed world. Wickedness had been wiped away. Now, of course, they still sinned. They had that sin nature. In fact, it wasn't too long before Noah himself sinned, as, as you read that Bible account in Genesis. Um, but it's much like baptism. When you and I are baptized, you know, the old man is dead. We, we've died with Christ in that, that old junk, the, the stuff that we used to live. You know, it's, it's, it's under the water, and it's, it's gone. And then we come up as new creations, new creatures in Christ. You know, we're transformed at that point. And so this is a picture of this. Now, you might be saying, okay, wait a minute. We're talking about suffering. And you're, you went into this tangent about Jesus going down and speaking to demons. Uh, and you're talking about baptism. Now, Peter is, not me, by the way. Uh, and you're like, you know, what? how does this tie in to each other? I think it's very, very pertinent to suffering. Because when you and I are suffering... We, we need to understand a couple key points, and I think that's what Peter is alluding to. When, Christ, uh, excuse me, when suffering for Christ's sake, remember these things. First of all, Jesus Christ has triumphed over sin and death. 
Secondly, the powers of darkness no longer have a hold on you. They, never have, they no longer have that power over you. And then finally, you're a new creation in Jesus Christ. Why is that important to remember when you or I are suffering for Christ's sake? Because the Bible tells us that we have an adversary, the enemy, the devil, and he's an accuser of the brethren. Excuse me. Revelation 12.10, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. When you and I are suffering, and you're going through a period of suffering in your life, excuse me, when you're not going through a period of suffering, how many of you are not going through a period of suffering in your life? You can be honest. It's okay. Okay, there's a few. There's couple of you that are honest. <laughs> You're not going through a period of suffering. Don't feel guilty about it because sooner or later you will. It's, it'll happen. Don't feel bad. You have good times and you have bad times. But when you and I are not suffering, it's pretty easy to be deceived, to think that, you know, because I'm not suffering, God's pleased with me and life's going good and God's blessing me and everything. And we get into this thing that because I'm doing good, I'm not suffering. Now, When we are suffering, it's also easy to be deceived that God is somehow unhappy with us. And it's because something we've done, and now God is punishing us, and uh, therefore we are suffering. And you see the enemy, our enemy, your enemy, Satan, of course he's not omniscient, he's not everywhere in one place, he's not like the... The, you know, the evil twin of, of Jesus. He's, an, he's a, an angel, a created angel who fell, who, disobeyed, who who rebelled. And so he's not omniscient. He's not in every place. So like if Satan's tormenting you, he's not tormenting me at the same time. But he has demons. The third of the hosts of heaven fell with him, rebelled with him. And they are all, and who knows how many a third of the hosts of heaven are, but there's probably quite a few of them. And, and, and they, uh, they don't play fair. They're not nice. They don't go, you know what, this guy's having a hard time. I'm going to give him a break. I'll pick on somebody who's, you know, doing really good. They don't play fair. They will accuse you. And when you and I are suffering, man, I tell you what, they take advantage of it and they start accusing you. And you and I, we can get into that. You know, we can get the joy can be stolen from us. We can feel defeated. We can be, as a result of that, rendered ineffective to be used by God during our suffering. And then you know what happens? We're like these people It's like, okay, I'm going through this suffering. I'm just going to hang on and I'm going to endure and I'm going to get through this suffering. And, and then I'll start, you know, serving the Lord. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll grow in my faith or whatever. I just got to hang on. I just got to hang on to my faith. That's just, that's not what God wants for us. He wants you and I to be used in our suffering, during our suffering, just as Jesus was. Think about this. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, what did he do? He prayed for those who persecuted him. You know, John, you know, the, the, the apostle John was standing there. His mother was pretty soon, Jesus' mother, Mary, was pretty soon not going to have Jesus around. And so Jesus, while he's suffering, he's making sure his mother is taken care of. It was using, used by God during his suffering. And, uh, and so, but the demons and Satan would like to incapacitate you and I to where we're just hanging in there, you know. And, and, and so that accusing uh, of the brethren, can, it, can, it can make you feel defeated. 
It can certainly steal your joy. Uh, and God doesn't want that for you and I. Finally, the Bible or Peter says that there was a purpose for Christ's suffering. Then he says that God used him during his suffering. And then finally, there was an end to Christ's suffering. Verse 22, it's talking about Jesus says, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having made, been made subject to him. Whatever you and I endure with regard to suffering for Christ's sake in this life, we need to remember that Christ has finished the work on the cross for us. You have eternal life. There is a reward waiting for you. Now, maybe you're going to suffer all through your life. Maybe, maybe that suffering is going to end up in, ultimately in your death. I don't know. Um, but you and I, we have an eternal reward waiting for us. And so there, there will be an end to your suffering at some point. And, of course, for us, ultimately, it'll be heaven. And so now uh, we get to chapter 4. And now in chapter 4, Peter's going to start giving you and I some practical applications for suffering or during suffering. So verse 1 of chapter 4, Peter writes this, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh... Arm yourselves also with the same mind. That means with the same intent, with the same understanding that Christ had while he was suffering. God had a purpose for Christ's suffering, and God has a purpose for your and my suffering. Look at the rest of chapter, uh, verse 1. It says, For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now that doesn't mean... I don't think it means that we're never going to commit you know, acts of sin anymore. But suffering, it really has a way of uh, uh, you know, stripping away the desire for sin. It's amazing. When, when, when things are going well in your life, you know, it's pretty easy to get kind of caught up in the things of the world. When you start suffering, like major illness or you know, a major life-changing thing, uh, you start thinking about eternal things. You start, you know, the, the, the things that you, you know, once were kind of occupied with, they're not as important anymore. Now you're focused a little bit more on eternal things. And, uh, and so suffering has a refining quality to it. And uh, again, while you're suffering, understand you're a new creation in Christ. And you're no longer held under the power of sin anymore. And then he continues, and he says here, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. See, God uses suffering in your and my life. Uh, one of his purposes, now he has different purposes for different, you know, we're all individuals and God's doing an individual work in each one of us. But one of God's purposes for all of us in our suffering is to free us from the allure of sin. And so Peter continues here, verse 3. Oops, I went too far. Uh, see if I, I don't know if I can back up on this. Let's see here. I don't think I can... Hang on a second. <laughs> I'm not that good with this, so I don't want to back up and, and mess up the presentation. 
So 1 Peter 4, verse, we were at uh, verse 3, right? For we have spent enough time of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. A flood of dissipation. Uh, you know, that basically means wasted energy. You know, when heat's dissipated, it's, it's wasted heat. Or when energy is dissipated, it's wasted energy. And, and for you and I to live a life after the flesh, it's a wasted life. And suffering for the Christian has a way of stripping away the desire for those things that are a waste, that, that do not profit. It really gives you more of a laser focus on what is important in life. Uh, suffering tends to sharpen our focus on the eternal. And yet, you know what? If you're like me, we run from suffering, right? Who wants to suffer? Who wants to go under, you know, whatever is going on? We, we, we want to we have life nice and easy, and we don't want to go through difficult times. Um, and yet God wants to use us through our suffering. And God has a purpose in our suffering for us. And, and yet, you know, our natural tendency is to try to run from it. But really, you know, I don't want to sound like a, like a masochist, but really we should embrace suffering in that respect because it's like, you know what, God, you're doing a work in me. You're using this as, as a way of refining me. Well, the world looks at you and I, and they think that we're strange. You probably look at me and think I'm strange. You're right. I am strange. But <laughs> it says, They think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So another reason that God uses us in our suffering, you know, the world looks at us. They look at you and I, you know, they suffer and we suffer. And they look at you as a believer and they go, well, well you know, does your faith I mean, does it really work for you, or is it just you know something you uh, you know something you believe in, or is it does it really transform your life? So they're looking at you and I, and they think we're strange because we're not doing the same things that they do. But that's again, that's what suffering does; it strips away those things. And so God uses our lives even as a testimony to the world around us. Verse six, he says, "For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit." Another thing to think about: when you and I are suffering for Christ's sake, God wants you and I to remember, and Peter is bringing it up here, that we are in good company with saints who have gone before us, who have even been martyred for their faith. You know, there's more people being martyr, martyred for their faith in, in this century now than there was, you know, in years past. More and more people are dying for their faith. Uh, when you and I are suffering, remember, you're in good company with those who have who've actually died for their faith, who've been martyred for their faith. They were judged by men according to the flesh. How were they judged? Well, they were judged as losers. They were judged as undesirables. They were judged as being worthy of death. And yet, Peter says, hey, they are alive. Uh, they are alive at this very moment. In fact, in Hebrews, it talks about this great cloud of witnesses that have gone on before us. 
In fact, in that passage of Scripture, it talks about all the things that they endured. And it says of them, the world wasn't even worthy of them. The world looks at you and says, well, you're not worthy. You know? But in reality, the world's not worthy of them. So how does God want to use us while we are suffering? And that's what Peter speaks about next. Verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. So first of all, prayer, right? Being sober-minded, being of sound mind in prayer, being watchful in prayer. God wants you and I to pray always without ceasing. And we know that scripture, right? Maybe some of you have memorized that. Maybe you get a bumper sticker or thing on your fridge magnet that says, you know, pray without ceasing. But, you know, when we're not suffering... You know, again, you know, when things are going well, we kind of get, we lose our focus. We, 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 you know, there's so many things that distract us. And yet, when we go through suffering, isn't it true that that's when it brings us to our knees? You know, that, that, that we draw closer to the Lord, and God wants us to. And so, you know, if, 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 you're, if you're going through suffering now, and now all of a sudden it's like, okay, it's brought you to your knees, don't think that God's angry with you. Like, okay, now you're finally coming to me when things are bad. No, God still loves you. God wants you to come to Him. And He might use suffering to bring that about in your life. So don't, don't you know, feel like, well, I'm unworthy because I wasn't praying before. Now things are bad. Now I'm going to pray. No, God wants you to pray. He wants you to enter into relationship with Him. Uh, verse 8. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. So not only are those of us in the body, uh, not only that those of us in the body would pray for and love those who are suffering, because, you know, we're to, we're to pray for one another, you know, we're to lift up each other's needs, bear each other's burdens, um, but we're also, those of us who are suffering, you know, we can kind of get into this mode of, here I am, poor me, minister to me. But Jesus didn't do that. Our example, right? Jesus ministered even in his suffering. And believe it or not, God even can use you and me in suffering. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Another way that God can use us is to use for you and I to use our gifts. It's not like if you have a gift, use it, but as you have a gift, use it. You see, each one of us have been given spiritual gifts, right, by the Holy Spirit, and they're to be employed in the edifying of the church. And when you and I don't use our gifts, you know, I hate to be blunt about it, but you're robbing the rest of the fellowship of the blessings of whatever God's empowered you, whatever God's giving you through the Holy Spirit is gifting. You're robbing the rest of us if you're not employing those gifts that God has given you. Remember the the uh, Jesus told the story about the the servant that was given the talents, the different servants. And there was the one servant that he took the talent. He didn't, you know, he didn't throw it away, but he, he buried it, and he, he just didn't use it. And then he gave it back. And uh, 
you know, he thought, well, at least I didn't, you know, lose it. Here it is. I kept it for you. And he was rebuked, right? Because he didn't use that gift, that talent that, uh, that the master had given him. And so for you and I, we're to use our gifts. And now you might say, okay, wait a minute. Here you're switching subjects again because we were talking about suffering. Am I speaking about those of us who are in the body who are not suffering? We're to minister to those who are suffering, you know, by praying for them, by being hospitable, by, by using our gifts and ministering to them. Or are you talking about those who are suffering are supposed to be using their gifts, are supposed to be praying for one another, are supposed to be ministering? The answer is yes. In both cases. Let's face it. God, you're gonna, you can't get away from suffering. It's going to happen in your life. And so often we get into this mode as suffering is like, okay, now I'm just going to hang in there and I'm just going to endure that suffering. Well, what if you're in suffering for a long time? That means you're not being used by God. You're just sitting there, oh, I'm going to hang in there. God wants to use you in your suffering because that's a testimony to the world. And again, it's God's power that's revealed through our weakness. You know, um, I had a mentor for a time. And uh, he was another pastor. And, uh, uh, you know, he had some things that, you know, I, I kind of struggled with some of the things that he would tell me. And one of the things he told me, and he kind of drilled it into me, was don't ever go down with your problems as a pastor. Don't ever share what's going on in your life with your congregation. You only go up. And he had reasons why he did that. But I always struggled with that because it's like, well, then, you know, then I'm not really being real to the people around me. And, and, and so I had a problem with that. Think about Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, Paul says this, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul would rather boast about his weaknesses, the things that are going on in his life that he's struggling with. How would you feel if me, the pastor, or anybody else in ministry seemed to never face the same problems that you face? How would that make you feel? We don't have use the term parishioners, but if you were a parishioner, how would that make you feel if the pastor never, you know, it's like, hey, you talk to him, how, how, you know, you come in here, you, you've had a terrible life or terrible situation this week maybe you had a fight with your wife or whatever you come in here and you're you know just it's been really bad and you're like how are you doing i'm like oh man it's good and, and it's always every week man it's good god's good praise god god's great you know god is good all the time all the time god is good you know if that was my if that's like that one liner i always shared with you how would that make you feel as you're suffering i know i would make me feel if i was if the roles were reversed i feel like man what's wrong with me Man, this person, this this godly man, of course, whenever pastors and I ch- talk about that, we chuckle because it's like if people only knew. <laughs> but you know, it's like this godly man, he never suffers, and I can't, I can't live up to that. And so God wants us to be transparent with one another, even pastors. And so I always had struggled with that. Don't go down with your problems. Well, you know, there is some wisdom in not you know just like laying everything out for people that you minister to. Um, but in the regards to, hey, you know what? I'm going through a difficult time right now. Things have been tough right now. I should be sharing that with you. We should be sharing that with one another. Um, and so, yes, we're to 
you know, as we're suffering, hey, there's admit it, you're suffering, whatever it is, and then let's minister with one another or to one another. And again, so, you know, God has a purpose in our suffering, right? To strip away those things of the world, to get us focused on the eternal, to, 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 to kind of remove that allure of the, the lust of the flesh. He wants to use us in our suffering. He's, you know, it doesn't mean all of a sudden you go into neutral and you can't be, God still wants to use you even while you're suffering. And just as Christ's suffering had an end, so will ours. Verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with with exceeding joy. You know, Jesus said in this life, you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus said in John 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. I've never seen that on a fridge magnet anywhere, but um, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted uh, me, they will persecute, also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So tribulations, persecutions, sufferings are to be expected in the Christian's life. But this life is is temporary. You know, we're just traveling through, right? We're pilgrims, we're sojourners. Um, Jesus' suffering had an end. Our suffering will have an end as well. And as you and I identify with Christ in his suffering, when his glory is revealed, man, our joy is going to be, just as you suffered with Christ, your joy is going to be with Christ. You're going to be just rejoicing in heaven. I think about uh, the suffering that a uh, pregnant woman goes through. Uh, uh, Teresa was watching something on YouTube, I guess, or some viral video about some guy's, ladies delivering a baby right in the parking lot at the emergency room. Anyways, I haven't seen it, but apparently it's pretty popular. It's going around. Um, but, you know, you think about a, a woman who's going through labor, how that suffering is intense. And it's just like that's all that they can focus on. Try talking to your you know, wife about, hey, honey, what do you think about me getting a new fishing boat? You know, in the middle of their delivery, you know, labor. What do you think that would go over? Well, no, no, no. All what they can focus on is on their suffering. It's funny because uh, we've had four kids. And uh, I went to the, I think it was the Lamaze classes or whatever, where they teach you how to, you know, you, you comfort your wife and all that. And I just wasn't very good at it. And I remember, you know, you're supposed to rub their back when there are certain points of the, the, you know, you're supposed to watch the thing and know when the right time to rub their backs. And I would rub it always at the wrong time. She's like, don't touch me. And then rub my back. Don't touch me. You know, it's like, I don't know what to do, you know. But, um, but when you're going through intense suffering, like delivering a baby, man, it is intense. And that's all you can focus on. That, I mean, forget about everything else. That's it, you know. But once that baby is born, you're no longer focused on, oh, that suffering. You're, man, the joy of a newborn infant, man. It's like, all oh, that was worth it. It's going to be like that for you and I when we enter heaven. Whatever suffering you're going through in this life, 
When you stand before Jesus Christ and you see his glory revealed, it's going to be, woohoo, you know, we're going to be rejoicing with him in overwhelming joy. So, verse 14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So just to clarify, you know, this whole talking about suffering is not like, you know, you... you, you you know, you didn't show up for work three days in a row. You never called your boss, and they've, you know, this is like the third time it's happened, and now they fired you. Oh, I'm suffering for Christ. My boss is persecuting me. No, you were a bad employee. <laughs> you're stupid, okay? So you're bearing the brunt, you're, and God's chastening you. That's a whole other message. That's a whole other sermon. So that's not what Paul's talking about. But for you and I as believers, the more you and I stand up for our faith and the more in you and I stand you know, firm in your faith, you're going to experience persecution. And it's coming more and more to us in this society and in our culture. Um, and so if you're suffering in that regard, man, praise God, because you're blessed. Verse 17, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? You know, God's work of purifying and refining his bride, the body of Christ, it begins here in the church. And again, I said, you know, I believe that as a nation, uh, we're going to be entering into a time of, of suffering. I think, you know, economically, we can't continue the way we are economically. Um, I think there's so many things, uh, so many trends that our, that our government and our, and, our, and our nation is going that, you know, pretty soon, I think a lot of people are going to be suffering. You know, I, I've just, right now, I'm dealing with health care problems. And uh, uh, praise the Lord, he's... He's taking care of our needs. God's been blessing us. So it's been, it's been amazing what God's done. Someday I'll share it with you. But right now, I'll just, just take my word for it. God's been blessing us. Um, and, and sometimes I talk with people, and I go, you know, I'm sharing what's going on. And they're like, wow. And I go, well, you know what? You've got insurance through your company, but pretty soon you're going to be struggling too. I mean, it's coming to all of us, right? But for you and I as Christians, that suffering is going to come sooner. And it's going to come probably more intense because we're not going to go with the flow of the world. You know, we're going to stand up. Look at, look at Home Depot, or not Home Depot, uh, Hobby Lobby. You know, they're standing up for their faith. And what's happening? They're being persecuted for it. They're, they're, they're getting it sooner than everybody else. But pretty soon, all of us are going to be ex- experiencing it. And so God is beginning his work with the house of God. And then Peter says, now if the righteous one is scarcely saved... Where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? You know, if God allows you and I, whom he loves and died for, to undergo suffering in this life, 
what kind of suffering do you think those are going to undergo who Christ has also died for, but who reject him? It's going to be so much more intense, their suffering. Verse 19, and Paul's going to, or Peter's going to wrap it up here pretty much. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. You know, it may be that God chooses you or I, and I would say he will, he's going to sooner or later, to undergo suffering as a believer. And if you do, and, I, and when you do, remember, God has a purpose in it. God, uh, you're not out of God's will. Um, he's not out to get you. God doesn't hate you. He's good. He loves you. And God has, wants to use you, and uh, there will be an end to him or end to your suffering, excuse me. And so Peter's encouragement for us and for the believers that he was writing to in his day is to commit our souls to God. Well, what does that mean to commit our souls to God? Well, actually, it's a banking term, and it means to give in charge as a deposit. And, you know, you think about this. You get this, you get your paycheck, and now it's all electronics, but, you know, before... In the olden days, <laughs> you used to, you know, you'd, you'd get your paper check by your boss and you'd sign it and you'd bring it to your bank and you'd deposit it into your bank account. And, you know, you're giving, you've worked, well, back then we get, well, like where I worked, I get, used to get paid weekly, which is nice, and then they changed it to biweekly and then they lay you off and they don't pay at all. But, no, <laughs> but, you, know, <laughs> but you know, you, you get this check and so you got this, you worked hard for it, right? 40 hours, 80 hours, whatever, whatever the frequency. You got this check and you go, man, you're giving it to a bank. Strangers, you don't even know the Joe Teller or whatever. You're giving it to them and going, here, I'm trusting you with my money. You know, I, I'm, 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 giving, I'm laying this into your hands and I'm trusting you with it. That's the picture Paul says for you and I to do as believers. Man, you're giving your life. You're, you're just laying out your soul and saying, Lord, I don't understand why I'm suffering. I don't understand what's going on, but Lord, I trust you, and I'm just going to lay my life before you, and you do with it whatever you please, because I trust you. Because you're committing your souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. He's a good and a faithful creator. I want to close with this verse out of Jeremiah, and you probably know it. But Jeremiah 29, 11, it's a great one to remember, especially when you're going through a very difficult time. God says this, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And so for you and I, you know, uh, we're to rejoice in all things. We're even to rejoice in suffering. And so uh, I hope this encourages you, especially if you're going through a time of suffering today, uh, or if you're going to be going through a time of suffering I just want you to be encouraged and to understand, you know, God still wants to use you. And, you know, it's, it's okay to say, you know, I'm hurting. I, I, I need ministry. It's, it's like, don't come to me and say you have needs. No, we want to minister to you because that's our job, too, as a body of Christ. We're to, we're to come around one another. We're to bear one another's burdens. We're to pray for one and rejoice with those that rejoice, weep with those that weep. But for you that's going through the suffering, man, God still wants to use your life. There, you know, God still wants, to, you're, you can still be fruitful. In fact, that's when we're most fruitful because that's when we're weakest. And that's when God's power is, and strength is perfected in us. And so that's the encouragement for you today. So why don't you stand up and let's go to the Lord in prayer.